Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV. This is your latest edition of Expert Insight with myself, Dan Club. I am joined today by the host of the Money Talks podcast on Anfield Index, Mo Shatra, to talk through all the key points and the wider ranging issues after Liverpool ranked third in the Deloitte Money League just last week when that was released, when all the stats and the figures were published. We're going to talk through exactly what that means from a Liverpool perspective now and potentially in the future as well. So, Mo, first and foremost, my friend, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be on. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, doing good. Pretty good, thank you. Good, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, so I say wide range of issues. I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek because it has created a huge fallout. Surrounds anything really to do with Liverpool finances and, and FSG on a wider scale, really. I think a lot of people see what in many senses should be seen as a positive performance off the field from Liverpool. And a lot of people have taken that and gone, well, surely that means we should be investing more in certain areas. But we're going to talk through exactly what it looks like, exactly how it happened and what it could mean moving forward, like I say. So to start with then, Mo, it was a record high for Liverpool when it comes to turnover, 594 million. And it was also a record high finish in the aforementioned Deloitte Money League. Um, just exactly, just talk us through what the Deloitte Money League is for a start, I suppose, before we get into it, just in case anybody watching or listening just isn't fully aware what it means. Sure. Okay, so Deloitte are one of the um, biggest accountancy firms in the world. And uh, one of the things that they've been doing for the last 26 years is compiling a ranking of the uh, biggest football clubs in the world uh, based on revenue and so this is the 26th year that they put this out and um, the uh, ranking of the 20 top clubs um, places Liverpool in third place um, which is the highest that it has ever finished behind only Real Madrid um, that finished with um, revenue of 604 million pounds only 10 million above that of Liverpool and um, 619 million uh, was first place reserved for Manchester City Football Club. Um, so well done to them and especially their commercial department who work miracles every single year. Um, but um, yeah, Liverpool nonetheless placed extremely well in third place with 594 million. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, the, the Man City thing, I think, is best left unsaid for this one. I tweeted as it happened, really, just like, no comments on their um, place on top spot. Um, yeah, I think we'll dig a little bit deeper into the facts and the figures and just exactly what it means. But as you say, the Liverpool have outperformed themselves better than they've ever done. 
that that surely should be seen as a positive thing, I suppose, first and foremost. It's clearly something to be celebrated. But who should be we who we who should we be crediting for such an achievement? And is there anyone in particular? So I mean, obviously with that um news that broke last week about the 594 million, you had different sides of um the ownership debate arguing that um it was a good result in favour of their argument. So mm. um, those that um, say that, look, FSG are doing a really good job in, you know, the FSG out brigade are being very unfair to them, have argued, well, look, you know, the club have achieved a record high turnover, and that is because of the owners. Yeah. I mean, that is the argument that's been put forward. You know, they've put in place um, very good things around infrastructure, which has helped uh, propel match their revenue. They have also put in place um, good people within commercial and they achieved a record high turnover of 233 million on the commercial front. Um, and also um, they've helped to ensure that the club has invested smartly um, in transfers over the last six, seven years, so that um, you know the recruitment has enabled success on the pitch, which in turn has helped generate record high levels of turnover in terms of broadcast revenue from mm -hmm. the Premier League and uh, Champions League most notably. And so therefore... Um, that is the argument put forward by those. On the flip side, those that have been saying, well, look, um, this is actually um, backing the argument that FSG are not doing a good job, is arguments on the other side to say 594 million, and yet we're achieving net spend less than clubs like West Ham and Aston Villa, um, Leeds United, uh, sorry, not Leeds United, um, uh, Nottingham Forest, for example, in most recent transfer mm -hmm. Um, so how is it possible that a club that generates so much money year on year over the last four years has struggled to um, spend um, at the levels of other rival clubs? Um, so both sides of that argument are using last week's news um, to say, look, we are right, you are wrong. Yeah, it certainly added a lot of fuel to the fire, didn't it? it, it but whichever side that you sit on, it seemed like. And you mentioned sort of how it was broke down there in terms of broadcast and commercial. And I think the match day is a big part of it too. I think 95 million you reported went on the match day side of things. And that's probably only going to increase, obviously, with the Anfield Road expansion that's going on now. And obviously, the main stand already been completed. That's brought in quite a lot of money. But a huge chunk of this turnover, I think you reported 62% of it, went on to wages. Um, now, is that normal, Mo? Is that like standard across the board in terms of figures? And does that factor in bonuses, incentives and that sort of thing too, which we know Liverpool are notoriously high spenders in? Yeah, so the wage bill is definitely an interesting one and it's created a huge amount of debate, again, amongst different sections of the fan base. So, um, you know, you've got a certain section of fan base that's saying, you know, it, it's proof of how well we are run as a club that we are now a destination club mm -hmm. and not a stepping stone club. You know, that was the, often the criticism leveled at the club and the owners that, you know, the likes of Luis Suarez, Torres, et cetera, yeah. were using Liverpool to move on to bigger and better things. And instead, what we've seen in recent years is, um, you know, footballers come to the club and look to stay at the club um, and see their best years through at Liverpool. And the wage bill is 368 million which is the fifth biggest wage bill in world football mm -hmm. and the second biggest in the Premier League, officially. Um, now, it, with, with that, it's important to note that one of the things Liverpool introduced um, uh, with the direction of FSG back around 2013-14 was a move towards heavily incentivised 
contracts. And what that means is, is that the, the base salary uh, might not be particularly high compared to that of rival clubs, but there were very significant bonuses built in for wins, for goals scored, for clean sheets, et cetera, et cetera. And so the more successful you are, mm-hmm. the more money you earn. And that is why Liverpool Football Club's overall wage bill is at such a high level. Um, now, it's also important to stress that, that wage bill is not um, the wage bill just for the playing staff. It's mm-hmm. not 368 million purely to pay um, the 20 odd players within that squad, uh, the first team squad. It covers all staff. It covers Dave in IT. It covers um, the, you know, the girls who uh, serve in the canteen at Kirby, um, match day staff. Um, coaches, mm-hmm. um, academy players. So it's everyone that's on the payroll um, is accounted for in the 368 million. Now, again, there are people that are arguing, well, look, um, oh, but F- FSG must be siphoning some of that money somehow. There is no uh, evidence in the accounts to say that that is happening. Um, so, you know, it's important to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we have invested significant sums into our wage bill. Mm-hmm. Um, is that at the expense of um, other areas of spend, like the transfer yeah. fees that we could potentially spend in, possibly, um, because ultimately it's a finite pot of money that we have to pay for things for. So the more money you spend on wages, the less money you can then spend on other things. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask you as well, we all know signing Jude Bellingham could potentially be really difficult when it comes to your uh, the lack of elite European football potentially next season, not to mention the finances. What would happen to Liverpool's wage bill? And indeed, would there be a change at all if we were to miss out on Champions League football? Do you think, because you obviously you mentioned sort of the positive bonuses as well, but do you think there's room in those contracts for negative bonuses in terms of you get a wage reduction potentially if we do miss out on such things? Uh, effectively, yes. So um, if we take Manchester United as an example, um, it wasn't all that long ago, maybe two, three years ago, where... Um, they missed out on Champions League football mm-hmm. and fell into the Europa League. And their wage bill went from, um, I think it was 332 million down to about 284. So it fell by nearly 50 million pounds um, just by the fact that uh, Man United fell from Champions League into Europa League. Yeah. And their wage bill, uh, or their wage structure, I should say, is reported to be less incentivized than that of the football club. So it does seem to suggest mm-hmm. that if Liverpool were to miss out on Champions League and um, fell into the Europa League or the Co- Europa Conference or even missed out on Europe altogether, the wage bill will go down. Uh, I, I can't tell you to what extent, but if mm-hmm. the United wage bill went out went down by close to 50 million, um, it would be fair to argue that Liverpool wage bill would fall by a similar amount, possibly even greater than that. So yes, we would miss out on significant income from the Champions League, um, obviously, we made about £100 million last year from the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we fell into the Europa, we'd probably be standing to make 25 30 million maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. So it would be a drop of around £70 million, but our wage bill would reduce accordingly. Uh, not to the same extent as a drop in income, but nonetheless, um, there would be a drop in the wage bill as well. So the overall hit wouldn't be quite as significant as... Um, you know, the, the kind of headline of, oh, 100 million of Champions League money we made last year. If we missed out on Champions League, that's 100 million gone. It's not quite as severe as that. 
No, it doesn't sound like it as well. And it's fascinating to hear as well because you don't really factor that in. All you do is you see the headline, or Liverpool will miss out on X amount of money if they miss out on top four. But in the in the grand scheme of things, potentially not. So yeah, that is really interesting. And it would ring true, like you say, if United's was to fall, Liverpool's would probably follow suit if that was to be the case. God forbid, um, of course. But <laughs> listen, lighting could be on the wall when it comes to that, potentially. And just finally, on the wages side of things, and you tweeted in a very interesting thread about all of this, about the wage bill increasing um, by 54 million from the 2020 to 21 season. So it increased after that. So clearly it was, there was a growth in the wages, meant there was less funds available in spend, and that was what you tweeted. Um, is there a pattern to that? Then? I think you alluded to it a moment ago in terms of the pot of money and X amount goes on wages, therefore there might not be as much to spend in the transfer window. Do you think we can actually decipher a clear pattern between that in terms of when our wages increase on the back of that, we haven't got as much to spend? FSG have been in situ now for a number of years. We can clearly see how they operate. It is self-sustaining. It is based on their model. Is that now obvious? That's the way they work in terms of there's your money that goes on wages and transfers and we'll work from that alone. I think there's a fairly rigid um, financial model in place mm-hmm. and I think there is an argument, well, there's evidence, I should say, that backs that up. You go back two years to um, the January 2021 transfer window. Everyone and their dog was saying, we need a centre-back. We probably Mm. need two. All our centre-backs are injured. Um, We're having to play somebody that used to play a kid minister um, in non-league football last season, and Nat Phillips as well. Um, And yet, uh, who who do we get through the door? Um, Quebec? And um, Davis, yeah. who never ended up playing for the club, um, you know, in terms of first team football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that at the time was something that obviously many, many fans rounded on the owners for to say, look, Jurgen Klopp all but called out the owners, I think very late into the transfer window, yeah. um, almost pleading that, look, you know, we need to get some business done. Mm-hmm. And we got business done, but we went bargain basement. Um, and I, I think that that demonstrated to me at least maybe others will disagree that um, despite um, the uh, plight we found ourselves in where we had a severe injury um, problem certainly at the centre-back position Mm -hmm. um, we were still not willing to flex as a club um, in terms of that financial model that look Mm -hmm. um, we have a certain pot of money and even if it potentially means missing out on a significant pot come the end of the season by missing out on top four we're still going to rigidly stick to this. Um, so I think that there is that in place. That doesn't yeah. mean that it's a completely inflexible model. Um, so we, we've seen examples of where there has been a bit of flexibility too. So if you look at um, just this January window um, and the January before that, we brought in Gakpo this mm-hmm. January and we brought in Diaz last January. And in both cases, it was reported that the players were lined up um, for summer deals, but when other clubs came sniffing, looking to bring him in in January, that's when we struck and acted decisively to get those deals done and get them over the line and bring them into local football clubs. So mm-hmm. whilst there is a, a, a pretty stringent, tight financial model, um, there can be times also when we, we can be flexible, but we've also seen when we can be inflexible. And obviously most Reds will be hoping that there is some flexibility um, when it comes to um, getting a bigger deal done um, like a Jude Bellingham uh, next summer. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just on that then, I'll move forward a little bit because I was going to touch on this in a moment, but as you've sort of brought up the Gakpo deal, I think most Reds will definitely be hoping that for Bellingham, but a lot of Reds, including myself, will hope there's some flexibility before the end of this transfer window because I, like many others, believe we need a midfielder. Um, so on that note then, I'll ask, I'll ask you quite straightforwardly, really. Um, is there an opportunity? You mentioned the two of many money that we'd clearly kept aside earlier on, potentially in the summer. You, in your tweet, in your thread, in your analysis, referenced that some of that money could potentially have been spent on Gakpo. Is it as simple as that, do you believe? And is there a chance that we've used that midfielder money on a forward this month? Do you think that's almost how it works? Do you think that could well be the case? Um, to an extent, yeah. I mean, one of the things to note is that um, different clubs operate very, very differently from one to the next. Mm -hmm. Um in terms of how um, they manage their finances and how they will get business done. Yeah. So Nottingham Forest, for example, um, they spent a huge amount of money in the summer transfer window, mm -hmm. and that money was uh, spent based on future revenue, which was yeah. that they knew that they were going to be bringing in over the course of the subsequent 12 months, um, 140 million pounds of um, Premier League money. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have that money in the months of July and August when they were spending it on a new player every two or three days. Um, so what they instead did was basically work with funders to secure money, mm -hmm. um, knowing that future revenue streams would then be able to pay that money back. So effectively yeah. um, loaning that money. Uh, Liverpool Football Club um, have that ability to do uh, act in the same way. So if mm -hmm. they wanted to um, get some business done now, um, if the money isn't available, I, I personally think it is, but just in case it isn't, mm -hmm. there are ways and means, there's lots of different vehicles through which they can secure money now based on future revenue streams. So, um, and this is common in football. It is very, very common. Many, many football clubs um, operate in this way. Um, so if, if the club is really intent in, in terms of the coaching side and recruitment side to get a midfielder in, this uh, transfer window um, in the next seven or so days, mm -hmm. um, they, they can if they want to, but it depends on how financially flexible they want to be. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Kevin, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Nottingham Forest. I think we all are well aware of what Barcelona were doing during the summer, pulling every which lever they could find. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that the reference earlier on to sort of the centre-back month when we all were crying out for a centre-back and it wasn't coming was probably the clearest indicator we've had probably in FSG's reign that they are very, not set in the way, but very sure about the way they want to do things. And it takes a lot for them to sort of break the mould and to sort of break away from that model. And indeed add that flexibility. So it remains to be seen whether this January is big enough a crisis for them to sort of bend out with that again, I guess. Um, mm. Love them or loathe them, Mel. Uh, we are owned by FSG at the moment. Um, although it would seem they are open to a sale, whether it be either full or part investment. There's, different, there's varying reports about that, depending on where you want to believe and I suppose what you want to believe. Um, what do you see as the ideal solution when it comes to this? Do you see the self-sustaining model as something it needs to give or do you see something that could work long-term? It has worked up until this point for Liverpool, there's no doubt about it. But when it comes to keeping up with Manchester Cities and Newcastles and others of this world, do you think there has to be? And do you think FSG have noticed there has to be some sort of change and that's why they are looking for investment potentially? Yeah, it's quite a, a loaded question, Sorry, um, but I'll try and well. answer it as succinctly as I can. Yeah. So, right, with the ownership, um, I think that on the whole, they've done a good job mm -hmm. in their 13 years at the club. Um, I think that there have been clearly some mistakes that they've made, um, trying to trademark the liverbird, yeah. um, furloughing of staff, all these obvious things. Um, but then they've gotten certain things right, notably the pointing clock, mm -hmm. hiring Edwards. Um, you know, I was very skeptical about that hire, and yet, yeah. you know, that proved to be a masterstroke. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was a very key part in us becoming, um, for a period, the strongest club in the world when it came to recruitment. Yeah. And that was our competitive advantage. That was the thing that allowed us to compete against oil money and, um, you know, other, other clubs who had owners that were willing to spend significant amounts of their own uh, wealth mm -hmm. on, on their football clubs. Yeah. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we are now in a changing landscape with football finance. Um, financial fair play, as we knew it, is being phased out and it is being replaced by a set of rules that have been designed by, um, oh, who is it? The chairman of Paris Saint-Germain. Um, on top of that, we saw FSG try to push through other things, other ideas, other initiatives that they felt could secure Liverpool's competitive edge against the likes of Manchester City and others mm -hmm. through things like the, the Super League and Project Big Picture. Those have also fallen by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So when you look at those concepts that have fallen by the wayside, you look at financial fair play, which they really pinned their hopes on and they hoped and expected even that that would be implemented successfully yeah. And UEFA failed miserably at that. All of these things that they were really pinning their hopes on, they've all gone. And what we are now seeing instead is just a complete free-for-all financially. Mm -hmm. It's like the Wild West. You are seeing Chelsea spending money like it's going out of business. Um, th there is that complete lack of self-sustainability at that top level. So what do we do as a club? Do we try and rigidly stick to a model that all of our rival clubs are now starting to ignore? Or do we try to adapt? And I feel we need to adapt. And adapt is in one of two ways. It's either FSG adapting their model mm -hmm. or adapt in the sense of a change of ownership. Mm 
-hmm. I think the former is less likely. I, I think that they've rigidly stuck to their self-sustaining model, i.e. they don't put in, um, their own funds into the club. Um, and I don't think that that will change. I think the only way realistically for us to remain competitive is for outside investment. Mm. So then obviously there's been this discussion about, well, what, what if we had a minority stake sold and FSG still retained control? And, you know, obviously we've seen certain journalists who reported that that might be the more likely outcome. Yeah. I, I think personally that's less likely for two reasons. The first of which is if you're an investor and um, FSG are asking you to um, invest X amount of money to buy a share of that club, but then you, as a, as a group, hold only 10% or 20% of the um, ownership of that club, with that small stake, you mm -hmm. don't really get a say in how the club is run. Um, so you're putting all this money in potentially to be invested back into the club, but you get no real say. Um, that is something that probably wouldn't appeal to many investors. No. And then the second thing is that I don't think it's particularly what FSG want because I've, I've tweeted about it, the fact that um, FSG are looking to raise funds at this moment in time. One of the, I mean, they've, there's been speculation that, they want to potentially uh, buy um, an NBA franchise. Um, and obviously we all know that LeBron James is part of FSG. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, one of the confirmed um, investment opportunities that they are involved in is something called Fenway Corners, which is a, a multi-billion multi -billion dollar um, real estate project in and around the uh, Fenway Park um, area um, which is obviously um, the, the stadium of Boston Red Sox, yeah. which are also yeah. owned by FSG. Mm -hmm. And they are involved in that project and they are looking to deliver it and they are looking to raise funds for it. Mm -hmm. So if it's a minority stake that's sold and then there's an expectation from that investor and also from the fan base that that money goes back into Liverpool, then that money can't then clearly go towards one or two of these other investment opportunities that they've got their eye on. So I think it doesn't work in their favour and it doesn't work in the favour of potential investors. And that's why I think, personally, that the more likely outcome is a sale of either the club outright or um, a third party investing in potentially purchasing, I don't know, 70%, 80%, and FSG retaining a smaller stake um, on the basis that maybe in another five or 10 years, the value of the club is increased you know, by another one or two or three billion uh, pounds and then obviously they could cash in on the remainder at that point so she held a gun to my head that is my expectation i could be completely wrong you might find out find out tomorrow that um it all bets are off that they're staying around for another few years and i'll be looking looking with egg in my face but there we go no that's absolutely fine that's the, that's the nature of the beast isn't it? when you talk about anything like this for every transfers or takeovers it happens like that, and you've just got to take your most educated guess, I guess, on it. Um, just wanted to pick up on something on there. Part of your your thread and your brilliant analysis on all of this was one sort of possibility. You've alluded to two possibilities there in the way FSG could approach it, and one method you did allude to. I just want to get your quick thoughts on it. If you think maybe now 
that horse is already bolted. It's not going to work. It's almost improving the model. You referenced Brighton and Brentford and just how impressive they've been in their recruitment. And we have been in years gone by, maybe not so much recently, if we're going to be brutally honest. But do you think that has gone now and Liverpool just getting better at what they did previously? Do you think with the cities and the Newcastles and the PSGs of this world, do you think that's too late? Do you think you have to keep up with the Joneses now? I think there can be a halfway house that you can still go out and buy your unicorns but mm. still unearth these gems. Um, you know, Napoli did a fantastic job in the summer. Yes. You know, they got rid of so many of their big players, like Koulibaly, for example. Yeah. And there were people that were predicting that they would fall completely down the table. And instead, their, their window was inspired. Mm-hmm. And they brought in these players that nobody had ever heard of. And they've just hit the ground running yeah. and been absolutely magnificent. We've seen so that. If they can do it. Yeah, why, why can't <laughs> we do it? You know, so that's why... My, my view is, look, you know, even if FSG decides to stay around, it's not the end of the world. You know, mm-hmm. you could still potentially, with the revenues that we're generating, bring in somebody like a, a big value signing like Bellingham, but mm-hmm. supplement it with some really smart, astute signings. We've done it in the past. Robertson was completely inspired. Nobody thought, you know, he'd turn into a world-class um, left-back, and he did. Yep. And he's been a magnificent servant for us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sort of thing that I think, you know, we could still... Do a really good job of the only concern i have is that the people that were involved and in, played a key part in um, that kind of smart inspired recruitment have either left or are leaving um and you know all the suggestions are again it, it is to an extent um you know speculation hearsay that um recruitment decisions are being made more by jürgen klopp yeah. and and pep linders um and less so by um the analytics people um, but you know, if, if that, who knows to what extent that is true? Mm. Um, only people within the club themselves, for sure. But at the same time, um, I, I think that look, if if we still had the owners remain, I'd like us to go back to some form of um, smart, inspired um, business around getting these lower value signings um, that fall under the radar mm-hmm. and still sign. You know, maybe. Your, your Jude Bellingham's and um, the likes of those, uh, and that ca- that potentially can work with the levels of revenue that we generate. But um, it, it's the evidence of you know that recruitment team in the background, the analytics people, um, sporting directors falling by the wayside that make less confident that the club is looking to work in that direction. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, there's definitely a change in landscape behind the scenes in so many departments are seen at Liverpool, which is, I suppose, isn't helping the general mood around the fan base, like the upheaval behind the scenes with everything else that's going on on the pitch as well as off just makes everyone a little bit uneasy about what the future looks like. Um, in the future, then, you mentioned also that the club's cash flow statement will come out when the accounts are published, which will give us a clearer idea of exactly how the club looks financially. It'll tell us about sort of how we're paying for transfers in instalments, like the Nunes, Gakbo could fall into that category as well. I think Diaz formally. So that'd be an interesting um, side of things as well. But just kind of round everything up now, how, given the off-field results, and we've obviously come third record high, we've already spoke about that. And I've already spoke about the headlines, rightly or wrongly, being about the success off the field that we've enjoyed. How does this all play into the potential sale, whether it be in full or part of the club? Does... And do potential investors look at the health for Liverpool from a commercial side of things and go, right now, that's in brilliant health. Like, it's a positive. It has to be from that point of view. Yeah, well, I mean, with missing out on the Champions League, um, 
it's the same exact um, kind of dynamic that will be at play when it comes to the sale of Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though United are in the top four, um, it's very possible that they could still slip out um, mm-hmm. by the end of the season. And if that happens to them, that would have been two years in a row yeah. for them to miss out on the Champions League, which will then take a substantial hit on some of their key commercial deals. Um, but at the same time, it wouldn't necessarily have a, 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 a massive um, impact on, on the valuation of, of either them or, or Liverpool Football Club. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Liverpool um, as a club know, for example, that the season after next, um, essentially um, there are five places up for grabs for the Champions League. The competition mm-hmm. is expanding. And so if Liverpool do miss out in the top four, they've got a very good chance of getting back in to the Champions League um, the following season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be only one season out of the competition before going back in. Um, so I don't think it would have an altogether significant effect on, on the valuation of the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and do you think that that would be something, therefore, that would be factored in by any potential investors? The fact that the coefficients change in next year, Liverpool are likely to be in, and the general growth commercially, and of course the size of Liverpool, and as you rightly mentioned, Manchester United, these figures don't matter as much on clubs of this huge, enormous scale because we are so big and they know that we might have a bad season, we might have a bad two seasons, the same with United, but the club remains. So it doesn't really have a huge impact in that case. Is that what you're saying? They'll be looking at it longer term. Yeah. You know, just a, a single season won't necessarily spike and skew uh, valuations. And I think at the same time, on the flip side, FSG is a selling entity won't be thinking of, okay, well, because we might potentially as a club miss out on top four, mm-hmm. therefore we should reduce the value out of the club by, you know, 10, 15, 20%. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think certainly with decisions of this nature, mm-hmm. um, it will be looked at in, in, in the long term. And, um, you know, as part of the due diligence, uh, potential buyers will also be looking at the wider factors such as, well, when the revenue, uh, sorry, when the distribution rights for the Premier League next comes up when distribution rights for the Champions League next come up. Yeah. What are the value of those deals likely to be? What about commercial deals? Liverpool Football Club's shirt deal with Nike, uh, kit mm-hmm. deal with Nike rather, um, comes up um, in just over two years. Um, so what kind of level, what kind of de- deal can Liverpool strike at that mm-hmm. point in time? So, you know, those are the types of things uh, which will be perhaps a greater uh, influence on the valuation than potentially missing out on the Champions League for a year. Yeah, 100%. And just quickly, just to finally say, on the valuation, we've seen a few different figures branded about. You're far more knowledgeable about this sort of thing than I and most of the listeners are. How would you value Liverpool Football Club compared to some of the money that you've seen branded? Well, I mean, obviously, in terms of Liverpool, within the various media reports in the last two and a half months, um, we've seen figures from about 2.7 up to... I think four billion. Yeah. Um, I, I think about three and a half to four okay. is about right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a very good value for the club. I mean, we've seen reports about Manchester United being valued at six to seven billion, which is absurd. Um, you know, their revenue, as we touched on right at the start of this, um, has been exceeded by Liverpool. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, their stadium is, you know, creaking and falling. You know, it's literally leaking. Um, you know, so, um, that it needs significant investment. Their training ground needs significant investment. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their debt runs into hundreds of millions. 
um, you know, when you fact all of those things in, mm. Liverpool is a far more attractive proposition, um, not, not least for which, you know, we're a much greater club than they are anyway. I mean, who'd want to, who'd want to buy United? So, um, you know, Liverpool, if you're an investor and you're looking at both um, and thinking, right, which one should we go for? It has to be Liverpool. Yeah, if you're watching this now, any investors, take that last bit on board. You can remember the rest of it, but take that last bit on board. No, I tend to agree with you um, on many of them points. It's certainly the fact Old Trafford is leaking. Um, but yeah, Manchester United are being sold essentially for the name and the fact they are a huge global brand. Let's not, let's not shy away from that fact. We can joke as much yeah. as we like, but Liverpool are a huge global brand. Plus, the, the stadium's in good state. It's in good health. It's getting better all the time. Commercially, we're clearly successful. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, but I would. So, there we go. Um, no, it's been a pleasure. It's been very insightful. Uh, before we go, I've mentioned your Twitter a few times. If you want to give that a plug. Plus, of course, the stuff over at Anfield Index. I believe you did quite an in-depth episode on this very topic recently. So, please plug away. Thank you, Dan. So, um, yeah, for my tweets about mostly the football club, um, I'm, uh, I can be found at Mo Chatra, so M-O-C-H-A-T-R-A, and I regularly produce podcasts mostly relating to football finance for Anfield Index um, called Money Talks, and as you noted, I put out a podcast um, just in the last few days um, covering the Deloitte Money League in a fair amount of detail mm-hmm. uh, with Trev Downey, so um, and that's, that's free to uh, access as well now, so um, do give it a listen if you, if you get the chance. Happy days, yeah. Money League Musings, I think I'm right in saying. Uh, that was That's cool. It. Episode. Yeah, so yeah. Check that out and make sure you give it a listen. Um, yeah, Mo, like I say, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, that'll be all we've got time for for this episode of Expert Insight. Make sure you check out all the back catalogue. Plus, got some transfer insights coming up for you this week before Liverpool potentially sign someone on deadline day or before. We'll see. Let's hope. Um, until then, I'll see you later. Take care. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed that as I took a closer look at all the facts and figures following the publication of the Deloitte Money League. If you want more content just like that, then head over to Redmen Plus now and sign up as a club captain using the code EXPERT and you'll get the first three months for just 99p. You'll see me chatting to Florian Plettenberg about transfers, Yori Levy about the Middle East interest and Dr Raj about all the injury worries at Liverpool. So... Get over there now, get it done, and I'll see you there. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.